this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, October 7th, 2018, and this is show number 700. Well, I got to tell you, I want to dedicate this show to all of the No Castaways who have been listening for so long, and especially to the ones that come to the live chat and watch, uh, watch the sausage get made. Having all of you guys there listening to me jabber every week for the past uh, 13 plus years and 700 episodes has been uh, a really a remarkable journey for both Steve and me. And um, uh, I, uh, by the way, the 700, that doesn't include the 566, I think, episodes of Chit Chat Across the Pond. So we're, we're past 1,200 shows all together, and it's been a great ride. And of course, I have to dedicate it mostly to Steve for putting up with me and making it possible for me to do the show by cooking dinner and grocery shopping and doing the laundry and all the work he does in the background and now running the live show. So, uh, w- by the way, we are celebrating the live show with, uh, we have party hats on. I've got a, uh, a tiara. I had to take the tiara off because it kind of hurt. Steve's got on a top hat. We've got a, a Tortuga rum cake from George from Tulsa, and we're doing it upright. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond was an episode of Programming by Stealth, where we learned about three more types of bootstrap forms, inline forms, horizontal forms, and grid-based forms. It's a super easy lesson, but another valuable tool firmly in our toolbox. You can find this installment, your podcatcher of choice, under Chit Chat Across the Pond or under Programming by Stealth. And of course, you can always listen over on podfeed.com. I often tell you when I publish a tutorial through Don McAllister's Screencast Online subscription podcast. I told you recently that I'd done one on the most awesome app, iThoughts, my mind mapping app of choice. It was one of the most enjoyable videos to create because the developer, Craig Scott, is crazy responsive, and not just to me, I mean, just all the time, and the app is outstanding. I have a running thing going with Craig because uh, I have yet to identify a single bug in iThoughts. He assures me that they're in there, but I can't find them, and he won't tell me where they are. Anyway, I tell you about these videos on Screencast Online, but I've been forgetting to tell you that they also come out through the Screencast Online magazine. This is a monthly magazine for iPad and iPhone, and it's crazy awesome. It's got over four hours of videos by Don and Todd Althoff and Mike Schmitz and even me. On top of that, it's got written articles by David Sparks, Lee Garrett, Wally and Wendy Cherinsky, and our favorite no-seller castaway, Frank Petrie, and even more. The nice thing about the magazine is that you can buy a single issue for five bucks and get all of that goodness, and you don't have to have a subscription. But of course, if you succumb to this temptation, you'll end up wanting more, but the price drops as you buy longer subscriptions. You don't get the videos as soon as you would with a Screencast Online subscription, but you do get all of the written material. By the way, if you get a Screencast Online subscription, you get the magazine for free. All this is by way of saying that the latest issue is out with my iThoughts video from last month, so you should totally go buy the issue for five bucks. You can download Screencast Online Magazine in the App Store, and you get a free back issue. And the free one he's offering right now has the tutorial I did on Keep It, which is also awesome, both my tutorial and the software. And yes, this was all a shameless self-promotion. Okay, a little bit of promotion for Frank, but mostly for me. As you may recall, Steve and I both upgraded from the iPhone X to the iPhone XS. We justified such silliness by promising our daughter Lindsay and her husband Nolan that they could have our iPhones X. Lindsay's iPhone 7 Plus was fine, but she really wanted Animoji. But I gotta tell you, Nolan's phone was an iPhone 6 Plus, and the poor thing was really struggling. The phone, not Nolan. 
Well, Nolan was kind of struggling with the phone. At one point, he showed me how long it took to bring up an email, and it was like 30, 45 seconds before it brought up mail. It was really, really sad. While armed with this great excuse that we had to give them away, we looked forward to the announcement of the iPhone XS. Even for an S year, this upgrade was a bit of a snoozer, though. I kept waiting during the announcement for some extraordinary feature to make me feel less dumb for upgrading my phone from an iPhone X. Now, you can say A12 Bionic chip and quad-core this and new and improved GPU that, but the iPhone X was already so fast, I doubted we'd be able to tell the difference. The only thing I heard that made my ears perk up at all was the new and improved camera in the iPhone XS. I didn't have a lot of time where I had the iPhone X and XS in my hands at the same time, but I did manage to run around the neighborhood and grab some photos with the two of the cameras side-by-side for comparison just for you. Let's talk about a couple of specifics they announced about the new camera and its sensors before we walk through my observations. Apple announced what they're calling Smart HDR. Smart HDR uses faster sensors and an enhanced image sensor processor that's the brains behind the sensors. Technology aside, Smart HDR is supposed to bring more highlight and shadow detail to your photos. They also announced an adjustable depth of field with portrait mode photos. But you know, all of us can already do that with the app's Focus if you have portrait mode capability on your phone, so that didn't really blow my dress up. The bokeh is supposed to be vastly improved. That's the fuzzy background in portrait photos. And there's supposed to be more low-light detail in the 10s. They accomplish this with deeper, larger pixels. Turns out the larger the pixels, the more light they can let into the sensor. More light means less noise. I'll walk through my findings of the differences in the cameras under different conditions. I've included comparison photos for the show notes. Note that other than resizing to make the comparisons, I've not processed the photos in any way. They're exactly as they came out of the cameras. By the way, isn't it interesting that I keep referring to the phones as cameras? Anyway, I'm doing all this to try to decide, can you justify purchasing the iPhone XS because of the camera if you already own an iPhone X? That's kind of what we're looking for here. Well, let's start with high dynamic range. I took one photo of grass with a wood fence and bright sunlight coming through the trees straight at me. This is probably the best example of the high dynamic range of the iPhone XS. And um, the difference between the 10 and the 10s is really dramatic in this test. The 10 has deep, dark shadows, leaving the grass and some of the trees with little definition. The 10s does a much better job of capturing the highlights and shadows in the trees, the fence, and the grass. It's a brighter picture overall, but it still shows a lot of depth of color. One of the hardest things to capture well with any camera is a bright red rose. I've tried with big girl cameras over the years and with different Apple and Android phones and even a Windows phone. And there are always areas that have the red tones blown out. The best way for me to illustrate this to you is to bring the photos into Affinity Photo and turn on the feature they have that highlights in yellow in clipped tones. Clipped tones are those areas that have turned all the same color because the sensor was unable to capture the different shades. It's different than having blown highlights or blown shadows or actually reduce shadows, I guess is the right phrase. With clip tones turned on in Affinity Photo, I compared two photos of the same red rose in my neighbor's yard taken by the 10 and the 10s. The iPhone X has a significant area of the red rose highlighted in yellow, showing that it doesn't have the dynamic range to adequately capture the red tones in those areas, much like every other phone I've tested. The iPhone XS has barely any of the tones clipped in the rose, but interestingly, a fair amount of the dark ground is showing clipped tones. I guess the rose is the star of the show, but clearly the two cameras chose differently and how to combine the image from their respective sensors. 
Later, after I'd given the iPhone 10 to Lindsay, I took another photo of a red and yellow rose in great evening sun with just the iPhone 10s. I thought it looked pretty great, so I opened it in Affinity Photo and turned on the effect to show me the clipping of highlights, shadows, and tones. At first, I thought the feature must not be working properly because all I could see was one teeny tiny yellow dot signifying a clipped tone and zero areas showing clipped highlights or shadows. I have to say, the iPhone XS for red flower shots pretty much rocks. I took a portrait mode photo of Steve sitting outside in the evening light. Both photos look great. Perhaps it's because they're of the man I love, but let's set that aside for a moment. If you were to look at the image of from the iPhone 10 by itself, you'd I think you'd really be unlikely to complain about the photo. But when you look closely at it compared to the new phone, the 10s image is much more pleasing. Again, the picture of the trees, like the picture of the trees and the fence and the grass, there's much smoother ranges of tones to his skin. And I'm not talking about that thing everybody's complaining about, about the beauty mode they think is happening. I'm saying that the range of tones to his skin, it, it's a smooth change between those tones. His eyes in the iPhone X are deeply shadowed, but in the XS, the area around his eyes is much lighter. He has more range of skin tone across his forehead, and his hair has many different shades. On the iPhone X, his hair on the side is very dark and without definition. I have to say I don't notice any big differences in the bokeh they, everybody was so excited about, but maybe that's just me. The good news is that the NASA logo on his shirt looks great in both images. I'm sure NASA nut, aka John, will be happy to hear that. My next test was to go for a super low light shot. As subjects for this test, I chose the two party hats Steve and I wore for the 13th anniversary show and which happened to be the tiara and top hat that we are wearing right now for the 700th show. Like I said, mine is a tiara, of course, and his is the top hat. I put them inside a closet on the floor and almost completely closed the door, letting a bare sliver of light through. I held both phones at the same time, side by side, and I took a photo. There is no doubt at all that the iPhone XS captured a far better image. The glittery areas of the crown are very crisp and well exposed. On the iPhone X, the glittery area, it's hard to say that, glittery areas almost look like the, I had camera shake, but I don't think that's what happened. I would entertain some arguments on this point, but the two hats both have the number 13 written on them, and in the iPhone X shot, the 13s are both crisp. If it had been camera shake, they would have been blurry too, and even if I'd rotated it, at least one of them would have looked blurry, but they both look sharp, and the areas that are glittery don't look really, don't, don't look very good at all. I dove into the EXIF data to see what would account for the differences in these two photos. Both phones took these photos at an aperture of f1.8, so it was pretty much wide open. They both exposed the sensor for one quarter of a second. But the 10 used an ISO of 2000, while the 10S used an ISO of 3200. That means the 10S had a lot more light to work with. It was pretty much the equivalent of the shutter being, being open 60% longer, if I've done my math right. Bart will tell me whether that's true. Using ISO to increase the light sensitivity, sorry, let me try that again. Using ISO to increase the light sensitivity of the sensor normally introduces a lot of noise, but Apple made a big deal about how they're taking so many exposures so quickly that they can combine images to do noise reduction to make a beautiful photo when they're keeping the aperture or I'm sorry, when they're bumping the ISO up that high. Neither of these photos taken in a closet is beautiful. They are not good photos. In fact, the iPhone X did a better job at color reproduction on the carpet, but the XS is much clearer and is more pleasing. 
But both of them, I gotta say, they scream, Get out of the closet, dummy! Well, my final test was comparing two tiny bottles of barbecue rub using portrait mode. Obviously, you know, the classic test that all fine photographers use. Instead of showing you the full photo as I did with the others, I zoomed up very close in the image I put in the show notes because I wanted to show several things. The iPhone XS captures much more texture in the granules in the bottles and did a better job with color representation in the letters BBQ printed in red on the bottles. The difference in bokeh is much more evident here than in the portrait photo of Steve. The new phone has a creamier bokeh, but they both have a fair amount of noise. The bokeh area on the iPhone X image is blown out in quite a few places. I would definitely give the iPhone XS the vote on a more pleasing photo than the 10. The bottom line is that the iPhone XS camera is glorious and amazing and fun. The iPhone X camera is glorious and amazing and fun. If you have an iPhone X and you're looking to drop, I don't know, around $1,000 or more for a new toy and you're looking for an excuse, please use these comparison photos to make your case to yourself to justify it. If you have a beloved child looking longingly at your iPhone X and you really want to make them happy, use these images to make you or to help you tell yourself you're doing it for the children. Maybe your husband wants your iPhone X like Helma's did. Do it for your husband. If, however, you are a sane, rational person, put that $1,000 in your 401k or give it to charity or put it in your beloved child's college fund or, heck, even save it till next year's phone comes out and be happy with your iPhone 10. Last year, I answered a dumb question from Rod Simmons on whether it was possible to mark up emails on an iPad. In those instructions, I explained how to get an email into PDF format and then save it into Nobility, a $10 app from Ginger Labs. That allowed us to mark it up and then route it back over to mail. Well, Rose Matthews, Rose from Australia, left a comment on that post expressing her frustration that Apple didn't have this built into the operating system. She felt that Apple had at least implied if she bought a pencil, she'd be able to do it without spending even more money. I started noodling this and realized there is a way to do it all for free, and that's this week's tiny tip. I gotta say, it's a little bit convoluted, but it's completely repeatable and won't cost you a cent. Well, of course, not beyond the $500 to $1,000 you paid for the iPad or iPhone, of course. Here's the simple steps to follow. Open the email you want to mark up. Select the arrow button at the bottom of the window that looks like it should mean reply or possibly forward. It does not seem to mean what it actually means. When your menu options come up, I want you to choose print. And that seems really intuitive, but here's the really slick trick. When the image comes up on screen where you'd normally choose a printer, instead use your fingers and pinch out. This will suddenly make a full screen PDF that at this point you could save to files or Dropbox or other services, but we're not going to save. After you pinch out and you've got it as a PDF, and it's not obvious at all that it is a PDF, in the upper right corner, you'll see the share button and you know that box with the up arrow. From there, you I want you to choose Mail from the options. That's where you would save to Dropbox or Files or wherever, but Mail is one of the options. Now, this will attach that PDF to an email so you can send it along. Now you've got the text of the PDF inside the email, but we want to mark it up. Tap on the PDF once and you'll see a blue line show up to the right. Tap the PDF a second time and now you'll see the options will come up, one of which is Markup. 
Now go along and mark up as you desire. By the way, did you ever notice that there's a plus sign in the bottom right-hand corner? And if you tap it, it lets you insert text, your save signature, a magnifying glass, and geometry like boxes and arrows? I think I didn't know that, notice that until I saw Don McAllister do it in a Screencast Online video. Anyway, once you've completed your markup masterpiece, select Done to exit markup and send your email on its merry way. Like I said, this is definitely a convoluted path, but it's repeatable and easy once you remember that two-fingered pinch out from the print menu to create a P will create a PDF. Hope this helps you out, Rose. Are you ever listening to the NoSilicast or chit-chat across the pond and thinking, hey, I sure wish she'd ta stop talking about operating systems and applications and programming and tricks and tips and instead do an ad about a mattress or, or maybe a men's razor. Wait. Wait, no, you haven't actually thought that? You don't You don't want to hear ads? You like having 40-minute to hour to an hour and a half long shows with no ads interrupting the great content? I'll tell you what makes that possible. The great people who have decided to become patrons of the Podfeet podcast. The people who contribute a dollar a week or more help make the, it possible for me to buy the hardware and software that make the show possible. Not just the stuff I have to get to produce the show, but the things that I review. I got to tell you, if things are tight for you, I do not want you to even consider contributing. But if you think you get a dollar's worth of content out of the shows each week and you can afford it, consider heading over to podfeet.com slash Patreon and becoming like the other fine patrons who help support the show. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Boost Shots. What is shaking today? Is it a big fat mess or is everything fine? Oh, uh, we have two security mediums. How does that strike you? Does that count as a fat mess or a thin <laughs> mess? Two, two mediums make a fat mess? I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in the world. All right. Well, no better to explain it to us than than uh, than you, in my opinion. I, I will do my best. Uh, before we get into too much new stuff, just two little follow-ups and stories we talked about last time. Um, that IoT uh, law that we talked about, the California law, that has been signed by Governor Brown. So congratulations yeah. to California. Didn't uh, the United States government immediately turn around and try to sue them for it? Something along no, those lines. that's a related story we'll get to later. That's California. Governor Brown was busy with his pen. He also signed the net neutrality law. And oh, that, that's right. And that one's interesting. Actually, may as well just get out of the way now because it's in suggested reading so people can read the details if they want. Um, but by basically deciding that they can't regulate the internet, they may have also stopped themselves from being able to decide that no one else can either. So by neutering themselves, they may have actually undercut this lawsuit. So... It remains to be... Uh, wait, who, who is undercut? The U.S. Ajit government Pai. is undercut? Oh, okay. As in oh, the, right. Yeah, so but basically, by giving up his authority to regulate ISPs, he's given up his authority to regulate ISPs. Oh, so he can't tell someone else they can't do it because he doesn't have the authority to do it. So he can't say it's my job because he already said it wasn't his job. Yeah. So he basically said, I don't have jurisdiction over this, therefore I'm going to sue you. Yeah, but you've no jurisdiction over this. He said so yourself. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a definitely, it's, it basically, it's an informed legal opinion that he doesn't have the right to, to stop it anymore. So it's off to court and we shall see what happens. But it's been okay. interesting to watch legal experts weighing in going, no, I think he cut off his own feet. So good. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, so back to the uh, the other thing that Governor Brown signed in. That was uh, that was about IoT. What was what was the gist of that again? 
If you're selling an IoT device in California after 2020, you have to do basic security. <laughs> Honestly, that is as good a summary as any other. Basically, you have to have reasonable protections in place to protect whatever the features are the device has. Wow, it's pretty sad you have to write a law to say that. <laughs> Common sense, okay, morons? Yes, but that's that's not how things work. You can't you can't leave it down to common sense because apparently there's nothing less common than common sense. That's what they say. All uh, right. Another thing we talked about was how the current trend in malware seems to be browser plugins. That seems to be getting a lot of attention from the bad guys. Um, so in that regard, it's nice to know that Google have tweaked some of their developer rules and some of their their um, controls that users have in Chrome to lock down plugins a little bit more tightly. So it's good to see Google fighting what I think is the next big battlefield. You know, it's starting to feel like uh, we used to look at, well, is Apple doing something better than Google or is Google doing something better than Apple? It looks like the two of them are a united front on some of this stuff because they're doing them around the same time, right? Well, yeah, because we've gotten to a situation where there's been a lot of work put. It used to be the case that every browser's plugins were like completely, totally and utterly different universes, but there's a lot more in common now than there used to be. And and so that that has other effects, I guess, where they do sort of have to do, well, they don't have to do things in lockstep, but it's, I don't think it's an area they're competing with each other on. Yeah. But I mean, like Apple just did the um, the lockdown on plugins that that locked out some of the vendors the way they were doing their uh, they were following the right APIs or whatever. Yeah, but that's not the same as what Google did at all. Apart from the fact that they're both oh. attacking the same problem, but they're doing it in very different ways. Okay, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, that is where the problem is. So it's not surprising that everyone is is attacking it, right? I mean, everyone can see the writing on the wall, so everyone is doing what's appropriate for their particular platform. Yeah. Or what they think is appropriate. I mean, basically everyone's doing their best, and the actual solutions are different, but at least they all agree they have a problem, and they're working on it. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully this won't be as bad as the whole how many years did we spend with Flash being the vector for everything, because that's kind of still not quite over yet, although nearly we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. So our first security medium, just because it broke first, and so we should talk about it first, is that Facebook revealed that they'd had a little bit of a security boo-boo. Um, so the story started when 90 million Facebook users found themselves logged out of Facebook completely. Um, and it mm. wasn't just that they were logged out of the web. Any apps they had connected to Facebook, they were logged out of. Any devices they were logged out of. Basically, all of their access tokens had been revoked by Facebook on purpose. So why would Facebook do this? Because Facebook discovered that um, actually those accounts, 40 million of them were definitely abused. Uh, Sorry, 50 million of them were definitely abused and 40 million of them were probably abused because a security vulnerability has come to light, which allows an attacker to generate a valid access token for any Facebook account of their choosing. And that's, hmm. that's a, as bugs go, that's as catastrophically bad as it gets. So if you want to become Mark Zuckerberg, okay, you can become Mark Zuckerberg. If you want to become Sheryl Sandberg, no problem. Become Sheryl Sandberg. Do you, have to do, do you have to do them one at a time? Yeah. Yeah, oh so yeah, yeah. Nin- you do have to do them one at a time, but okay, you can still become anyone. Okay. Uh, so the, the attackers initially used the vulnerability very, very sparingly and only against very important people, but over time, obviously, they, they started to use it against more people, and so we got up to 50 million with another 40 million probably. Hmm. So Facebook have fixed the problem, 
and Facebook have invalidated all of these tokens, but of course anything that was done with those tokens can't now be undone. Uh, and also, because Facebook is an OAuth identity provider, in theory, those same tokens could have been used to log into anything that has a login with Facebook feature. Right, right. I remember asking you, was that a safe thing to do? Well, what you're and doing there is you're... unsafe. Well, it's not unsafe by design. It's a, What you're doing is you're saying, I trust Facebook to be my identity provider. <laughs> in other words unsafe by design well no OAuth is an open protocol yeah I just wouldn't pick Facebook as my OAuth provider okay um, now yeah, the, the, the OAuth protocol has some other flaws in it, but it, it's because it involves browser redirects and stuff it, could, it, it has other issues but you're, it's the same protocol as you log in with Google as you log in with Twitter as you log in with Yahoo I mean they all they all provide these services I just sure but I'm, as a as a rule, it doesn't seem like a great idea to put as many that many eggs in one basket, unless it's a LastPass or one password where that is their business. That would certainly be my view on these things. Yeah, I mean, I was quite happy to have a single federated identity when it was OpenID, um, mm-hmm. but they went away, and since then, I haven't really been using federated identity. I've sort of decided to fall back on unique passwords for every site managed in one password. I went back, I remember this coming up because the first time I saw it was when my healthcare provider asked me if I wanted to use Facebook to log in. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, but at the time you did explain to me that it was OAuth, uh, that, it, that it wasn't like letting Facebook have access to your data, mm. but it still is trusting them to be good stewards of the, the tools, right? Yeah, so the way an OAuth provider works is that basically you are saying to the other website, Facebook will vouch for me. So Facebook is doing the authentication. So you're basically saying that I trust Facebook to pro- to, to make sure I am who I say I am before they tell the other site to let me in. I mean, Federated Identity has many useful and valid features. I'm just not sure Facebook is the perfect provider. Um I mean, it's not quite the identical technology, but there's a, there's a thing called EduGate, which is used by educational institutions, where your um, your educational institution acts as your identity provider, and you can use that identity then to log into education-related services anywhere on the planet. So that, okay. to me, is a really good use of this kind of federated stuff. Um, in fact, it's even cooler. They have a wireless network. It's now pretty much worldwide. It's called EduRoam. And I can use my identity from my home institution to authenticate to the wireless in any other participating university anywhere on planet Earth. And they all have the same SID. It's EduRoam. So basically, my phone will just anywhere, anytime I'm near anything vaguely educational, I have free Wi-Fi anywhere on planet Earth. Oh, okay. And the same is true of any student or staff member at any institution that co- that cooperates, that's part of edu- EduRoam. And then EduGate is a similar thing for access to libraries and things. It's, you know, so the Federated Identity has many really cool features, but Again, do you want to put all your eggs in the Facebook basket? And, you know, I trust my university because I work for them. It's a very, very different relationship to me and Facebook. You know, it's, yeah, it's not the same thing. Anyway, there's a slight right. diversion, but it has sort of raised the question of, is it really a good idea to be doing all of this login with Facebook? Because if you, basically, if Facebook gets hacked, then you lose not just your identity on Facebook, which is already fairly bad, because a lot of people have that very deeply entrenched in their lives. But you, Mm -hmm. in theory, also lose everything else you do on the web where you log in with Facebook. Right. So that could be a lot of your digital identity that just vanishes in a puff of whoopsie. So back to how this happened, uh, what... 
how did they get these tokens for 90 million people? No, no. Okay, so the vulnerability wasn't that the tokens got out. The vulnerability was that you could create a token on demand. Oh, okay. So all 90 million people could have had their tokens created. Well, 50 million of them did. So basically, once Facebook figured out how it worked, they were able to look in their logs and see if they could see evidence in the logs. So once you know so how the attack worked... they did figure out how to you... do a mass attack, not a one-by-one. One. No, no, it is a one-by-one, one, right? So the, the, the attack is not we found a bunch of data and we're looking through it to find interesting people. It's the exact opposite. We found a vulnerability so we can, as and when we want, make a token for anyone we want to make a token for. They didn't find this anything. Isn't, this isn't Gary in his mother's basement typing in, okay, Allison Sheridan, okay, Allison Sheridab, Allison, you know... No, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the attack went after high-profile people first because they knew they were going to get caught eventually, so they went after the highest stuff first. So apparently um, Zuckerberg's account was targeted, as was Sheryl Sandberg's, apparently. Or so I, so I believe I read. So it was used for spear phishing, high-value targets first. But that, that Yeah, that makes sense. I don't see how, they, how you go from something that lets you find one person, look them up, and get this token to... how do you, 50 million would take a long time, one at a time. They must have found a massive way to do it. Or lots of people were yeah. doing it. Oh? Or, well, nice. a computer can do it in seconds. I mean, 50 million isn't a lot. Like, if you can throw a few CPUs at it, you, you get an email dump somewhere, you just but go if browse you have Facebook. to start with a specific name, you have to know who those names are to start with. You know what I mean? But, but there's been so many breaches of usernames and passwords and so many email addresses. You, you take an email address from a password dump, the chances of it being a Facebook account are probably one in two. Right. But uh, do they need their their uh, username and password to execute this hack? They certainly don't need their password. That's the whole point. You just okay. need a username, nothing more. Hence, you can go after Mark Zuckerberg or anyone. So if you know their Facebook, okay. if you know their Facebook username, you have at it. So you can just go onto Facebook okay. to Facebook find your victims. Usernames are usually people's names. So it's not a it isn't a username kind of thing. Like I'm not no silica asked. Okay, okay but you mu- sorry. Okay, but you must have an ID. Like there must be a link that no. links to your profile. Well, so if I go onto Facebook and I There's browse a, a URL Facebook... Okay, I think then there's the URL. It, that it's... URL contains your ID. The point is you can yeah. go onto Facebook, find someone interesting and become them. Yeah, I've asked my question, so I, I don't, we don't need to keep going. I, I don't quite see it, but let, let's... Uh... Okay, but you can just so, be on Facebook, see an account and say, hey, presto, I am now that person. Bing! Yes, I understand. So that that is why it's such a scary, scary hack. Yeah. But anyway, it's been patched, and all of the people who the logs show were definitely attacked have had their all of their tokens revoked. So anything the attackers had, they now you know, any access the attackers had, they now don't have. But of course, any data they took while they had the access, what well, yeah, the genie's out of the bottle there, right? It's, it's, you can't. Uh, there's no recall data function on the internet. That's unfortunately not how it works. Um, the other bit of good news is that Facebook have found no evidence that the attackers actually used the third-party integration to use those tokens on third-party sites. Hmm. Lucky. Yes. Although I, I presume Facebook, well, if you think about it, Facebook's own data is probably the crown jewels, right? What do you log into with your Facebook account that's even more valuable than Facebook? <laughs> I uh, heard somebody on, uh, I think it was on uh, DTNS saying, Facebook's reaction to this must have been, wait a minute, somebody stole our product. (laughs) (laughs) To some extent, yes. 
Anyway, that was going to be the one and only security medium until, was it yesterday the news broke? Um, so the internet is completely and utterly a, a Twitter with um, news from Bloomberg that claims that the Chinese government snuck, hard, snuck basically a hardware attack into 30 major US corporations, including, quote-unquote, a major bank, Apple and Amazon. They say this was done through a company called Supermicro, who sell motherboards for servers, and that the chips in question were about the size of a grain of rice. Uh, when it comes to... Now, one thing to say is there's no technical detail in this reporting from Bloomberg, whatever. It's a bunch of hand-waving, this is terrible, the world is falling, and the chip is very small. And that's that's kind of as technical as it gets. Uh, when it comes to Apple, they cite their sources as three senior insiders at Apple uh, who say that Apple found the spying hardware in their servers in 2015. Um, the, the the report goes on to correctly state that Apple ended the relationship with Supermicro a year later, um, and they also say that Apple say it had nothing to do with any sort of server hacking, which Apple do indeed say. Um, Apple has strongly contradicted the reporting. They say that they have never found any hardware embeds or anything like that in any of their servers. They found one uh, dodgy driver in one server in 2016, which they investigated and found to be a mistake rather than a targeted attack. Um, And Apple were so kind as to assume that Bloomberg had simply conflated the incidents, um, but that what Bloomberg are reporting did not happen. Yeah, um, Ken Ray quoted an article uh, written by Apple uh, Mm -hmm. at Apple.com, and it's entitled, What Business We Got Wrong About Apple. And a lot of their uh, article, they said that that Bloomberg came to them and they met with them and they did exhaustive research into what they said and they'd come back and go, no, no, there's no evidence of what you're saying. And they just kept going, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, we, I'm going to read but some choice quotes from that statement in a okay, minute, good. actually. Um, okay. Because Apple, like, there was no wishy-washy in the denials. Like, mm-hmm. they, they didn't, there was no fudge here. But I just, so I just want to finish. Um, so Amazon then were the other named company. Um, and in the case of Amazon, it focused on their acquisition of a company called Elemental. Um, and one of the reasons that's important is because Elemental provided servers installed in U.S. government data centers. Um, which obviously is a, a big thing, um, and also on battleships, you know, it's kind mm. of yeah. Uh, so the report claims that Amazon discovered the hardware hacks while it was investigating, uh, basically doing its due diligence for the acquisition. Um, and Amazon say, yeah, we absolutely did do our due diligence. No, we did not find any such things like you say we found. Um. Now, it's interesting when they're quoting the Amazon, uh, they're also basically saying that these servers are in Amazon's AWS cloud hosting, which would be oh so big of a problem. Uh, and it's interesting that, so when they were talking about Apple, they used the word three senior insiders at Apple is the sourcing, whereas for the Amazon story, it's people inside AWS. People, hmm. not senior people, just people. Gary. Uh, yeah. Sue. And when they, further on in the story, then Bloomberg um, bolsters, so Bloomberg basically say that both Apple and the Amazon deny this, and then they go on to say, but we have six, quote, current and former senior national security officials. So they're very quick to throw the word senior about, but for the Amazon AWS stuff, it's just people. Just, hmm. it, it just struck me, because 
basically they they don't say who it is that told them this obviously they just give these sort of vague phrases like three senior people within apple people inside aws six current and former senior national security officials and then they do finally say that they have 17 sources in total hmm. and they say that four of their six sources inside the us government named apple so obviously two of them didn't um so let's just so both Apple and Amazon have issued very strong, very clearly worded rebuttals. In the case of Amazon, the rebuttal came from their chief information security officer. Uh, so I'll just quote from the Amazon one first. It is untrue that AWS knew about a supply chain compromise, an issue with malicious chips, or hardware modifications when acquiring Elemental. It is also untrue that AWS knew about servers containing malicious chips or modifications in data centers based in China, or that AWS worked with the FBI to investigate or provide data about malicious hardware. Then a little bit later, the pre-acquisition audit described uh, described four issues with a web application, not hardware or chips, that Supermicro provides for management of their motherboards. All these findings were fully addressed before we acquired Elemental. So basically, no, you're t- no. That's just a flat out denial. Uh, Apple also have a strong denial. Again, not going to read it all. I'm just going to quote the, the sort of the to me the, the the you know the real core of the issue. So over the course of the past year, Bloomberg has contacted us multiple times with claims, sometimes vague and sometimes elaborate, of an alleged security incident at Apple. Each time we have conducted rigorous internal investigations based on their inquiries, and each time we have found absolutely no evidence to support any of them. We have repeatedly and consistently offered factual responses on the record, refuting virtually every aspect of Bloomberg's story relating to Apple. On this, we can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Apple Apple never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency about any such... Sorry, about such an incident. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are any contacts, nor are our contacts... Hang on, sorry. Let me say that again. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement. Wow. They go on. And that's not really vague. No, it's not vague. They then go on and, and they basically say some not-so-nice things about Bloomberg. We are deeply disappointed that in their dealings with us, Bloomberg's reporters have not been open to the possibility that they or their server, or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. Our best guess is that they are confusing their story with a previously reported 2016 incident in which we discovered an infected driver on a single Supermicro server in one of our labs. That one-time event was determined to be accidental and not a targeted attack against Apple. And later in the afternoon, after I wrote my first pass at the show notes, uh, we got some more information. Um, the UK's GCHQ, which is basically the UK's equivalent of the NSA in the US, who almost never say anything to almost anyone, Uh, actually released a statement. We are aware of the media reports, but at this stage have no reason to doubt the denials... Sorry, we have no reason to doubt the detailed assessments made by AWS and Apple. So UK GCHQ are on Apple and Amazon side. And the Wall Street are also reporting that their sources in US government intelligence are casting doubts on the story. 
So they basically asked their contacts inside the uh, security industry or the security apparatus of the US government and they say their sources say they don't think this is true. Now, Blue, Bloomberg are not a fly-by-night operation so right, I find it right. hard to imagine that they don't believe their sources. And Apple and Amazon are really, really clear with like no wiggle room whatsoever so they must believe what they're saying too. So it seems to me that either someone is lying or someone has honestly misunderstood. And that what's going on here, if you'll excuse the pun, is a game of Chinese whispers. That the people with, you know, so someone in Apple heard something, and then someone told, heard something from someone else, and by the time it gets to the fourth person who's heard something from someone else, it's gone from, wouldn't it be terrible if, to, oh yeah, that happened last week. Hmm. I mean, these things happen, right? So, I, suppose, I, I mean... But, but they've been working on this for a year, it's not like this just happened in a week and a couple of people said they talked to somebody and the speculation turned into fact and then they went, I think we'll post a big article about it. Right, which is why I think I think the people Bloomberg are talking to are mistaken. I don't think they're maliciously mistaken. I think they just did, like, there's deep technical nerdery here and I'm not sure everyone who acted as a source understands. Yeah. So I could yeah. easily see how in the, when there's complex technical stuff... It could be very easy for someone who holds a senior position within a company to end up at the wrong end of a stick. Yeah. What an interesting story. I mean, I, mm. I have a hard time not believing Apple and Amazon. If it was just Apple or just Amazon, or let's say just Amazon, I might go, mm, I don't know. Or if it was Facebook, <laughs> yeah, Bloomberg's right. But Apple and Amazon and so adamant and so specifically adamant, you know, we have done exhaustive studies looking for what they're saying and we cannot find it. And we told them that. Yeah, actually, something else that is in the show notes, because it, ha- it happened after I got to write the show notes. There's also uh, I just heard another report um, that Apple have told journalists explicitly we are not under a gag order, which means they are. Oh, not. that's good, too. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't say that if you are. Exactly. So if they were under gag order, they could neither confirm nor deny, as the old line goes, but they were they were explicit. We are not under a gag order, so they're not. There's also the fact that like these companies have nailed their colours so hard to the mast on this that they would be criminally liable to shareholders if they're lying. Yeah, you would think. I have, I, not just I would think, like, I mean, they are publicly traded companies. There are literally laws about what they can do. And lying through their teeth on something that affects the stock price is explicitly forbidden. Yeah, yeah. Ask Elon Musk. Yes, exactly. And that was, I mean, that wasn't even so much lying. It's carelessly tweeting. Stupidly well, carelessly tweeting. Well, yeah. maybe lying too. Well, he was lying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. But it's not quite the same, right? I have I have the money to go private. It's not quite the same as this no, did no, no. not happen. The two word the what he got fined for uh was uh the two words funding secured. Ah, that was what yes. was wrong. So, uh Leo Laporte was talking about it and he said that's 20 million dollars a word. How much is that a character? <laughs> that they're very expensive bits. <laughs> it's an expensive tweet. It really is. Yeah, so I, 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 the other thing I found interesting, I just wanted to poke at really quickly, mm-hmm. was was that Bloomberg is saying that they're also they have sources in the intelligence community that's saying this is true, but if so, why wouldn't those people be talking to Apple? Right. I mean, and unless also, Apple is the, lying. I mean, back to it doesn't make any sense, right? It's the fact that I mean, okay, so leaving Apple out of it because we we both are inclined to believe Apple. I, I would Slight argue. Bias. 
Yeah, I would argue Apple have earned that from me over the years because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't born with the religion of Apple. I came to admire the company because of what they did, not because of religion. So I would say Apple have my trust because they've earned it. But leaving that aside, let's just look at Amazon. They put their mm-hmm. chief information security officer by name on this. Chief. So that really is SEC violation extraordinaire if he's lying. It's also his job yeah. to know. Like, right, right. You know, the argument is, oh, yeah, but this kind of thing would be kept very hush-hush within a company. <laughs> sure. But the chief information security officer is the one person who would know about it better than anyone else in Amazon. Right, right. Or maybe be the one doing the hiding. Right, exactly. <laughs> that is the top of that food chain. So, I mean, when you see who is saying what and how unequivocally, it's extremely hard to believe they're, they're intentionally misleading us. That, yeah. that, that, that beggars belief. That, that just stretches yeah. credulity too far. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I am definitely inclined to go with, I think the tech companies understand tech better than Bloomberg do. And Bloomberg have been flat out wrong about Apple on a few occasions, as Ken Ray reminded his listeners today. So, this uh, one thing I thought about, because I, I can't believe this is true and Apple and Amazon are saying this, so I've got to believe that Bloomberg is wrong in some way. This is going to be a big stain on them. I mean, I'm, I don't think there's any reason to assume malice. Just error. But error for working on it for a year. But they're, they're choosing... Okay, so Apple are saying Bloomberg, refuse, Bloomberg are not considering the possibility their sources are mistaken. Okay. So Bloomberg... The people talking to Bloomberg may not be intentionally lying either. No one... It may be that no one here is intentionally being dishonest. But someone is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there is definitely someone wrong. There might be someone being malicious, but there's no reason to assume that. It could just be that there's someone wrong. Many someone's, probably. But that's a big stain on a news organization. It is, but they are a business publication. Like, The Intercept is the kind of place I would expect this reporting to come from. Not Bloomberg. This is, they're they're out of their comfort zone here. Yeah. And that may bite them. As I say, I think there's, I think there's more on this to come. Um, I don't think we're done with this. There are links in the show notes to the original Bloomberg report, uh, a detailed rebuttal from Apple, a detailed rebuttal from Amazon, the Apple Insider story that cites UK's GCHQ and the Wall Street Journal. Then there is a follow-up from Bloomberg who are standing by their story. Um, and then two interesting opinion pieces, one from Brian Krebs, uh, basically asking the big question, yeah, this whole, even if this story turns out not to be true, it really does raise the issue of supply chain security. And the big question of, um, so this supply chain is critical to our entire infrastructure where it's the foundation of everything. So who's going to pay for securing it? Because even if this isn't true, we still need to secure it. Um, and then a very well-reasoned article from 9to5Mac, the five reasons I believe Apple, not Bloomberg. And there, hmm. it's well-reasoned, logical, you know, it's an opinion piece, so it's not fact, but it's well-expressed opinion, in my opinion. That's a lot of opinion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's plenty of reading there, and I am sure more will break on this before we speak again. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, so, notable security updates. Our old friend, 
Toby, Acrobat and Reader have had a serious update, 85 major flaws. The headline from Naked Security starts with update now, colon. So I would say that's probably good advice. So do that. Notable news. Um, so having this next one, the next story would have been a security medium any other time, but there's too much going on this week. So it's a security almost medium. Uh, Facebook admitted that if you use uh, SMS-based two-factor authentication, they will also use that to help target ads at you. It's like, yeah, well, you've told us that. How can we pretend not to know? And and what Bart is saying, you didn't quite say it exactly. They are going to use your cell phone number to target ads to you. Yes. So the way this works, right? So they don't give your cell phone number to advertisers. What they do is the advertisers hash the cell phone number they have on file of the person they want to send an ad to. And Facebook hash all the numbers they have on file. And if the two hashes match, Facebook go, yeah, no problem. We can advertise with that person for you. Oh, wow. So in the one hmm. half, people say, well, there's no like they're giving away your phone number. Yeah, but they kind of are. <laughs> well, the nice thing is they do have two-factor authentication that that is not... SMS text messaging. You can have uh, I use one password to uh, to do the authentication, so you don't have to use that. Yes, they have the open source authenticator based uh, one time passwords OTPs. And to be honest, I would say that if you ever have the choice between SMS based two factor auth and a gen a code based two factor auth, a generator, always go with the generator because we know for a fact that the SMS network is completely and utterly insecure and insecurable because the S nine protocol doesn't have security on it. We, your home state, really deep article about that. Yeah, your home state senator Ted Liu. No, I did. No, I did a really deep thing. Remember, you you did. did Well, you looked into the NIST NIST guidelines. Yes. Yeah, not not the technology, but uh, everything behind it. Yeah. Whereas your home state senator, uh, in conjunction with sixty minutes, I believe it was, allowed himself to be a guinea pig, and uh, the sixty minute, basically the attackers white hat attackers who 60 minutes engaged to demonstrate how easy this is were able to divert his to basically intercept all of his phone calls without his knowing and be a man in the middle and all of his sms messages so basically you can become any cell phone number on planet earth you want because the protocol that cell carriers use to, to route calls and sms messages between each other has no security because no one thought to build it in which is a real problem right Right. And it's really hard to fix because basically every, the worst cell carrier on planet Earth is the weakest link in the chain. And that mm. is who they are relying on fixing this. So right. don't rely on SMS message becoming secure ever. Right, because If you can, when you have a choice. Yeah, exactly. So you just have to, I mean, any two-factor auth is better than no two-factor auth. And any other two-factor auth is better than SMS. <laughs> It's still a hurdle, right? Even if it's a, even having to fake someone's phone number is more of a hurdle than not having to do anything. The fact that it's possible doesn't mean it's easy. You know, it's it's not. It's still a barrier, even if it's imperfect. I had I had a sad experience uh, just uh, two days ago where I was helping a friend of mine set up a brand new Mac, and she is um, as unsophisticated of a of a Mac user of a user of computing as you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to show her something cool with the new Mojave operating system. I thought, oh, I'll show her the continuity camera where you can use your camera to take photos, and they go directly into your Mac, and uh, they that can go right cool. into an application. It's yeah, it's very cool. But in order to use it, you have to have two-factor authentication turned on. And the minute that warning came up, she went, 
no, 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 not doing it. Not doing it. Don't talk to me about it. Nope. I tried it. Nope. Hated it. Not doing it. Take it off. Don't do it. Don't do it. I was like, okay. So I don't know what she turned it on on, but something horrible happened to her and she will never, ever turn it on for the rest of her life. Someone is going to have to have a conversation with her or reality will intervene because I don't think you're going to have a choice for very long. Yeah. Yeah. Password is dying. But anyway, that's an issue for another day. Um, Security researchers have found that um, Android's architecture is causing a little bit of a problem with password managers. Um, They basically can't really tell very reliably that an app is the app it says it is. So if you install a malicious app and you have a password manager that will autofill passwords in apps, then that malicious app can pretend to be any app on the planet and get the password manager to autofill. So you would install an app that would pretend to be Facebook, and then one password would give that app your Facebook password, or Dashlane, or LastPass. All of them have the same problem. The issue is the OS isn't securely identifying apps. There is no secure way to know that an app is what it says it is. You have to believe the app. So the actual defense against this is be careful what you install because you are, once you install an app, it can do things. So why why wouldn't this happen on the iPhone also? Because the iPhone has proper APIs for identifying an app. There is no API that one password can call to be sure that an app that says it's Facebook really is Facebook. It's an architecture. But, yeah, but let, let's take it off of the Facebook. Uh, let's let's say it's a a, 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 a service called Pajamas. Okay, same. And pro- you've got it's a password pro- for Pajamas in your. Oh, and let's do. How about Telegram? Because there's lots of different Telegram applications. Okay, there. Okay, there is no way for a password manager to know that an app is what it says to be on Android. Apple does things way differently. Totally different. Much better APIs. But I'm the, just the, saying, I mean, I could see it happening. Uh, there's, uh, you could have three different apps that all were a form of Telegram, and they're legitimately all Telegram, but maybe one of them isn't. Right. And I don't know how, and, and your password manager could give okay. the app so, the fake Telegram. Right, okay. So if you get an app from the App Store, it lists a whole bunch of stuff about its capabilities and the URLs associated, mm-hmm. the domain names associated with it, and the whole kit and caboodle is digitally signed so it can't be altered. Which means that if you submit an app to the App Store, the App Store knows the URLs, the domain names associated with the app. It's been verified by Apple. You've nailed your colors to the mast and you can never change it. It's baked into the apps it, But that, that just means that they can catch you if you do it. That doesn't mean you can't do it. Correct? Right. But if, have, if, an, app, app, if an app that is not Facebook says it's Facebook, I don't think it's going to get through r- approval. No, but it, I said, let's forget Facebook because there's only one Facebook. There's only one Facebook app. But there are multiple Telegram apps, correct? Yes. Um, I don't... But are they not all by Telegram? Telegram is... No, I don't believe they are. I believe that there are multiple... I ended up with three of them on okay, my Okay, well, then I don't example. believe they can get autofill to work. On Those that aren't from the real Telegram, I don't believe they can get autofill to work. Certainly, the reporting on the story says this is a problem with specifically with Android, where any app can specify any URL at any time because it's not digitally signed as part of the app's bundle. So you can install an app that says it belongs to oh, the URL podfeed.com. 
and it can I think then I later just finally figured out what you meant, what you're meaning. You're, you're not just saying they can put the URL. Okay, we really are https uh, colon slash, slash telegram dot, dot org. Um, that's if you did that, you would just get logged into telegram dot org, and they wouldn't get your password. No, I'm saying that the app. So it's when you're filling passwords, not into websites. Yes, yes, I'm f- talking about. Okay, I'm talking about the the app getting you got. You made a big thing about the URLs, so I'm talking about the URLs mm-hmm. in the app. Mm-hmm. If, if uh, you know, Bob's Telegram app, no, I was picking on Gary today. Gary's Telegram app has uh, a URL to telegram.org, but it's not really the right app. It could still have telegram.org in it, couldn't it? On Android, yes, and it could change what it has in it from minute to minute because it's not part of the digital signature. Okay, okay, that's the difference. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Anyway, it's there's three APIs. All of them suck. There shouldn't be three APIs, but there is three APIs, and all three of them have problems. So don't allow autofill, and be careful what you install. Right. Because if it's not autofill, it's not a problem. And I don't know if you can even do autofill in iOS now that I think about it. It's not possible for me to go into an app and have it autofill. I have to choose to fill the password, don't I? Well, now in iOS 12, you tap on the um, password field, and it automatically pops up one password, LastPass, or um, uh, password the keychain. Yes, but you have to then say okay, and then it has to authenticate you. So there's no autofill. Yes, which means yes. that's oh, why you're you not vulnerable. You have to authenticate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in Android, it's autofill. Actually, actually, on I don't know what it does with keychain. It doesn't autofill doesn't. either. It, it allows you to pop it in, so it, it offers you what it knows, but you still have to tap on it. So we're talking here about Android apps with autofill. So you go to okay. the app and the password is automatically filled without any user interaction. And I don't think that's even possible on iOS. I have yet yeah. to find a way to autofill passwords into apps. I can get them, but I have to do it. So if I download a random calculator and it pops up and says, hey, Bart, I'd like your Facebook password, mm-hmm. I would have to tap that and then let it do Face ID. Right, And it would tell me this is the password for Facebook. At which point yeah. I would like to think I would spot it. Whereas what we're talking about here is that on Android, the app would just be able to autofill without you having to click and without having to do a biometric. Right, right. Yikes. Yes, but again, it, you have to install a malicious app. So really it comes back to this whole... Don't just install apps for the crack. Don't install apps willy-nilly. You know, be careful who they're by and how many, you know, stay out of the weeds. (laughs) I think that's that's the best thing I can say. Stay out of the digital weeds. It'd be dangerous in there. Uh, Okay. Yes, okay. I think we're up to Apple. having. Yes, we are. So we have two Apple stories in a row here. So Apple have added a whole bunch of cool new security and privacy features in their new OSs. But uh, some security researchers have found there's a few cracks in the defenses. Um, Now, the silver lining here is pretty clear. So if you exploit these bugs, what you end up with is the security you had before you upgraded. So you actually, all you have lost is the extra security. You haven't actually lost anything more than that. So that's sort of like worst worst case scenario here, a successful attacker gets to treat your device as if it was iOS 11 or Mac OS, uh, whatever came before Mojave. Okay. Hi, Sierra. Hi, Sierra. 
but nonetheless, so it's not surprising. New features have come in. Security researchers have found workarounds and Apple are now working to patch them. And I, I promise you there will be security updates from Apple very shortly because there are always security updates from Apple. So <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, a slightly more humorous one is that kids are extremely inventive people. They have wonderful imaginations and they have found all sorts of unique and interesting ways to get around these screen time limitations. Like changing the time on their phones, for example, which you can do on a phone even if it's under parental control. So I think the fix there is easy. If your device is locked down by parental controls, you can't change the time because then you get to go back in time. When you can go back in time, you can do things you shouldn't be able to do. But they found all sorts of interesting workarounds anyway. So, it, it, you know, it's again, the screen time limitations is not really a security feature as such, right? It's it's a nice bonus feature for managing your kid's time and Apple will fix this. So it's not catastrophic, but I just find it hilarious that, you know, you put these controls in place and kids immediately find out where the hole under the fence is. I, I personally think that uh, Apple, after these things are reported to them before they fix it, they should just have a pop-up that says, um, would you be interested in learning to code? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I did. To be honest, if my kids discovered this, I'd be like, well done. Now, I still want you to behave responsibly on your device, and I'm going to keep an eye on you, but well done. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, there has also been, which is less good news, a lock screen bypass on iOS 12. Um, the silver lining here is that all of these lock screen bypasses involve sort of rubbing your stomach and patting your head. They're all difficult, but this one makes all the previous ones look easy. The list of instructions are so long that uh, I believe Ken Ray said he just couldn't be bothered reading them out. It was. It, right, it's right. not straightforward. And again, Apple will get that patched quickly. Um, I am of the opinion that your lock screen should be a lock screen and then you're not vulnerable to these bypasses. So I don't allow anything through my lock screen. Oh, but it's so fun to be able to do stuff on the lock screen. But with Face ID, as soon as I pick up my phone, the lock screen isn't there anymore anyway. No, but there's all kinds of stuff. Like with my phone locked in my fan, in my uh, uh, spy belt, I can make a phone call. There's just all kinds. That's of what things my watch is for. More fun. Honestly, since I have the Apple Watch, I have I don't zero want to talk through the want. watch. I don't want to talk through the watch. I want to talk through my headphones. My headphones are connected to my phone, so if I call through my watch, it does not go through my headphones. I'm pretty sure you can use handoff to hand the call off to your phone from your watch, which is unlocked. Always, as long as it's touching your wrist. You're uh, saying opening the watch and going into the phone app and crank no, no, well, no. When you're on a call on the watch, you can use handoff to push it to the phone. I'm pretty sure. I can use handoff to push calls around all over the place. You're saying on the f- watch? Yeah. So you use the watch, which is unlocked and not in your fanny pack. It's just on your wrist. And, and how do you, how do you get to the phone? Call, how do you call Allison? Call? You say. Oh, so you you are you saying you use Siri and you talk out loud to your watch, Bart? Is that what you just did? Oh, I am. I try. Her <laughs> success rate is 50-50. But she has actually managed to connect a few calls recently. Which surprised <laughs> the hell out of me, of all people. No, she has actually successfully phoned a few people while I was out on my lunchtime walk recently. Okay, good. I use it all the time, by the way. But I'm just... I, yanking. I promised you did you a, say you would try. You exactly. Did say you try. I promised you I would try, and I have left it on on the watch. And I do okay. use it. And sometimes she does, sometimes she works well for me, and other times she just doesn't. <laughs> just I think Steve's running about 30%. I run about 80%. I would say, honestly, 50 50 for me. Yeah, but your accent, you know, nobody knows what you're talking about anyway. <laughs> oh, be Gara and be Gosh. <laughs> 
All right, moving right along. Moving right along. Um, the next version of Wi-Fi has been announced, and devices Ooh. are expected to start shipping next year. Uh, the first of the big changes is what you kind of expect. It'll be faster, don't you know? Uh, but actually, the, the big news here is that they have finally seen sense, and you are no longer going to have to ask yourself, is G better than A? Is A better than AC? Is N? AC comes before N in the alphabet, so AC must be older. No, N is old. What? No, they're going with version numbers. The next Wi-Fi will be Wi-Fi 6. Its previous codename was Wi-Fi AX, by the way which is what oh, we would have geez. had if they hadn't seen sense. So then we mm-hmm. had to remember that it was A-B-G-N-A-C-A-X, <laughs> which gets us to six. They've also retroactively, and they want the people who are part of the Wi-Fi Alliance to start to use the new naming scheme for the old versions. So what we now call AC becomes Wi-Fi 5, and what we now call N becomes Wi-Fi 4. Oh, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> uh, well, the Wi-Fi Alliance is pretty powerful, actually, and pretty much everyone who sells Wi-Fi stuff is part of the Wi-Fi Alliance, and that standard Wi-Fi oh, logo... they the- might do it, but we're going to walk around going, well, which one's AC? I don't okay, know, but know if- that that's five, it's called AC. But it won't be, is what I'm saying, because the Wi-Fi Alliance includes Apple, Microsoft, so your OS is very quick, so they have put out new icons, which have the numbers prominently displayed in the icon, so you know the standard Wi-Fi icon with the capital W, small i... Capital yeah. F, small i, and the little radiating lines. Well, there's a new version of that logo with the numbers incorporated into it. And the Wi-Fi Alliance is going to be actively pushing that so that as OS's update, as drivers update, as hardware update, as the boxes update, this new logo is going to be everywhere. So I actually think that if anyone can change this, it's the Wi-Fi Alliance. Because they're actually, they lay down the law pretty well. So I actually genuinely think that a year from now, we'll be talking about Wi-Fi 6 and we'll be grand. Hmm. And look, if I'm wrong, oh well. Bye bye. So, so when, when can we have it though? That's all we really care about. Next faster, year. faster. Oh, wait, just 2019? That's only two months away. Can yeah. I January? I I don't think they're that specific, but sometime within the next 26 months. Okay. <laughs> Fall. <laughs> well, that's Apple's favorite one, isn't it? And they sometimes stretch right. that a bit. Um. So there's a whole big hoo-ha-ha uh, of people reporting that US police forced a suspect to unlock their phone with Face ID. And all I'm left with is going, why is this in the news? We've known this literally forever. Biometrics have never been protected by the Fifth Amendment. They have always been considered something you are, not testimony. This was true of fingerprints, which is why you can fingerprint someone against their will. This was a whole big... We went through this whole big Michigas when Touch ID came out and everyone thought the world would end. And Face ID is exactly the same. And it's been exactly the same for the last year and a month. So I have no idea why this suddenly became a great big clickbaity story, but I think I may have answered my own question with those two words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why you just learn to press the two buttons on the side that that uh, that lock it up. And yeah. you have to enter your passcode and they can't make you do that. Because that is testimony. That is definitely testimony. That has been settled. So, yeah. Actually, or at least it's settled makes- for now. This might fit in well in the in this context of there are people of uh, certain skin colors who are very concerned when they get stopped by a police officer, and and rightfully so in my personal opinion. And um, someone has written a series shortcut that will, uh, I think they call it the police shortcut. I forget. I'm not exactly okay. sure what they named it, but it does all kinds of things. It it locks your phone so that they'd have you'd have to put in your passcode. And it starts the camera recording 
and oh, it, it dims the screen so they can't see anything that's on screen and it automatically sends the uh video to whoever you put into the uh into the the shortcut when you're done i'm thinking abc news is where i would send mine huh and you can of course record any shortcut you like right that's the whole point of shortcuts is that it's not preordained you get to decide what your magic word will be right so right. you could link it to hello officer <laughs> exactly although to exactly. Me, you know, well, I think and, it's it's sad it exists but it was pretty interesting right Right, but there is also the case, so those of us who are privileged enough not not to be in that situation, if you're walking down a street where you don't like the look of some of the people around you, it is as important that you make sure to lock your phone in that situation. I mean, this is not mm-hmm. a feature that is only needed by people who have reason to fear law enforcement. This is right. equally a feature to be feared by anyone who fears criminals, yeah. which I think is everyone on planet Earth, and also travelers. If you're in a foreign country... It is very important for you because those law enforcement agents don't work for you. They're not there, in theory, to serve and protect you because you're a foreigner. <laughs> right, right. You know, so it, you know, you're you're absolutely right, and there are people indeed who sadly have to be wary of their own law enforcement, which is tragic. But it's not only for people who are afraid of the police; it's also for people who are afraid of criminals, which is all of us. Right. Uh, now, the next story is in the same vein as the previous one. Um, I do not understand why this is news, but it has the word Apple in it, so that appears to be sufficient. There mm-hmm. are legal experts whining about the fact that if you enable fall detection and it detects a fall and it contacts emergency services, then police are legally allowed to enter your home without a warrant. <laughs> That's literally the point of it. Oh, I mean, it's there's a, there's an exemption under U.S. law for public safety, and this this invokes the public safety. Yes, you've just fallen. You've had a minute to say you're okay. You have been unable to say you're okay repeatedly, and it's gone and called help for you. Of course, the help is allowed in. That's why the feature's there. But apparently, this is a scandal. Apparently. Right, right. By the way, did you know the uh, fall detection feature is? Automatically enabled for people 65 and older, but it is not for people under 65. I did indeed know that, but it is good that you said it, because now everyone yeah. does. And the, uh, the the idea is they said if you're super active, it might get activated often. So if you're like, you're a skateboarder, you probably don't want to put this on because it's going to be triggering all the time. Yeah, um, and if, if I'm horsing down a, a, you know, down a mountain on my mountain bike, I'm going to get some decelerations. Yeah, yeah. Or, but if you're only 60 and you fall over, if there's an extra air molecule on the ground and hit your face on the ground when you're walking your freaking dog, uh, you know, maybe you do want to turn it on, Allison. Yeah, and it's your choice, basically. And by the way, yeah, everyone has the choice to turn it on, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So you make your own, yeah, exactly. Make your own decision. Um, The next story is one I think is important to stick a pin in because it has broader implications. So a French police officer has been charged with using police data as the basis for a phone tracking service he sold on the dark web. Uh, So the next time someone says to you that we we need to have a backdoor for the good guys only, this is why we can't have a backdoor for the good guys only. It will not remain contained. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, nothing else to say Mozilla has published a new site to help leverage the Have I Been Pwned database it's called Firefox Monitor and you can use it to do a quick lookup of an email address but better than that you can register your email address to get notifications if you show up in a future breach so that's something people may find useful again it's great to see that database getting used 
Okay, so because we've all already been breached, you just get to know about the next one. Yes. And Have I Been oh. Pwned allows owners of domain names to do it on their domain, but this allows owners of email addresses to do it on their email address, which is not quite the same thing. Hmm. So if you work for an organization that owns a domain, then the sysadmin for that organization can put in a special DNS record to prove that they are the real owners, and then Have I Been Pwned themselves will send you email reports, summary reports, basically saying, here are all of the people on your domain who have been compromised this week. And wow. I'm sorry to say... I have that set up on a few domains. And the answer is, yeah, we're all hacked all the time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> By the way, it's broken right now. The uh, It says, try it out. Enter your email for a basic scan, and it gets an error. Oh, okay. Well, I guess yeah. too many people are doing it. Error Error connected, connected to HIBP. Huh. Poop. Maybe they got hacked. <laughs> that would be, be funny in all the worst possible ways. Yeah. Um, and then Mike, uh, there's a nice story here from Make Security. The headline they went with is pretty good. Microsoft is killing passwords one announcement at a time. Basically, the Microsoft Authenticator app is continuing to be updated to the point where if you choose to, you can now have your Apple Watch allow you to log in without ever needing a password. So you go to a website, your watch taps you on the wrist and says, is that you? And you go, yes, it's me. And you're logged in. Uh, I thought you were talking about Microsoft. I am indeed. I'm confused. Microsoft have an app for iOS called Microsoft Authenticator. Ah. It has a watch component. There's also an app. I'm sure they also have Android apps. I don't know about that uh, because I don't have an Android, but I'm pretty sure they do because their Authenticator service is all over the place. And I'm sure they had one on Windows Phone when that was a thing. So is this like using Facebook as my Authenticator? This is using Microsoft as my Authenticator? No. This is to access Microsoft services. Ah, Okay. So if you're an Office 365 customer. Huh. Now, if you're a corporation who use Microsoft's Azure Active Directory as your corporation's identity provider, then yes, this this would apply to all of your corporate stuff too. But that's your corporation choosing to use Microsoft. So it's not not quite the same thing as login with Facebook. Okay. But again, the days of the password are numbered. It is very, very clear what way Microsoft are going with this, and Microsoft are right to go this way, in my opinion. This is this is not silly. This is extremely clever. And I really, really like the new Microsoft um, under Satya Nadella, and this is just more of doing the right thing. It's, it's really nice to see. Okay. Good. Uh, lots of fun stuff under suggested reading. Um, just a, a few things to draw your attention to. Uh, PSA's tips and advice. Uh, there's a story there from Krebs on security that I think is worth highlighting. Uh, this whole idea of what we call a voice phishing scam, you get a telephone call and they try to get information out of you. That is really on the rise and that is really dangerous. So you need to be extremely suspicious about anyone who phones you up. So um, there is a consistent scam that's been going on for quite a while from uh, people pretending to be Apple. And the mm. uh, the fun part about it, the caller ID, is the phone number you dial to call AppleCare. Yes, because so our phone system get the is call, horribly insecure. Yeah, so the, so the phone number that comes up is, it ends in 2275, I forget what it is, but I looked at it and I went, wait a minute, that's Apple. Oh, this is that scam I heard about. So if you call uh, the Apple store right now, uh, any Apple store, the first thing you'll get is, okay, so we know there's a scam going on. If you were told to call this number, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The first thing I see on my internet banking is, we are aware of ongoing, you know, please be aware of ongoing scams targeting our customers. 
it's very annoying. And the, uh, so the they way, can fake any number, right? So if someone is pretending to be your bank, don't believe them just because of the caller ID. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, so the, the Krebs on Security article lays out some of the stuff that's going on with some scary recent examples of people who are like technological geniuses who almost got caught, or in the case of Cable Sasser from Panic, who actually got caught. Uh, and then, as if by the universe lining itself up, this week's Planet Money, or this week Planet Money aired or re-aired episode 680, The Anatomy of a Scan, of a Scam, where they actually play audio that the FCC, yes, communications, FCC, have made available of some of these scams that have succeeded in defrauding people of horrific amounts of money. And listening to how professional these people are is horrifically scary. Hmm. It is a superbly produced episode. It is extremely enlightening. It is not pleasant listening. Uh. But I still recommend you listen because it's really well done and it makes the point extremely well. Um, then there's some good, some other good stories here. Um, how to have that difficult stay safe online conversation with your kids. Setting up a Mac for young children. Fake a- Apple products. Here's how to avoid being fooled and endangered by counterfeits. Um... Crypto jacking coming to a server, laptop, or phone near you and how to stop it. How to add second person to face ID in iOS 12. How to set one password as your default autofill provider in iOS 12. Um, and how to use Apple's new reused passwords warning to reduce your your risk of account hijacking. So it's nice that plain old keychain now has this feature that we're used to having in our proper password managers. Lots of stuff going on and notable breaches as well. Uh, Twitter found a bug that exposed your DMs in theory. They don't think anyone's used it, but in theory, all of our DMs have been exposed. Um, NCIX, who are sort of like a former big electronics retailer in Canada, went bankrupt. And basically, they just sort of let their servers get sold off for scrap without actually properly cleaning them. So basically, all their data just ended up out there by mistake. Whoopsie daisies. Uh, the UN managed to suffer a data breach, which is kind of impressive. Um, and AdGuard, the AdGuard ad blocker reset everyone's passwords after they suffered an attack. Um, and then fashion giant Sheen hit by 6.2 million of their users hit by um, a, a breach as well. So I, I don't do much fashion shopping, so I don't know how big of a deal that is. Hmm. In terms of news, I have two stories marked with a star next to them and lots of other stories. Um, so we talked last time, I think it was about, uh, what did we talk It was something being, yeah, that you could stick on the Windows 10 updates for longer. So you could stick with the fall update for a year and a half. Well, the, uh, literally days later, there was a follow-up as well, where if you're a corporation and if you're prepared to shell over vast wadges of cash, you may continue to get security updates for Windows 7 for a few more years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do not understand, but okay. That's if not you surprising. That's always been true. That's, but I thought after the... XP, we might have figured out that this is a terrible way to run a company. As in, the people who got bitten having by having lived to pay... Through it, having lived through it, I very much doubt anybody changed their mind. If you've got a mission-critical system, I cannot take this offline. This has really got to happen. It would just be a, be, be a disaster. It costs millions of dollars. If we took this down, you can't ever touch it. You think those people have changed? I would have thought that the Windows XP experience would have taught people to design new systems on the understanding that reality is real. No. But apparently not. Well, I, apparently people are still prepared I, to throw money away. So fair not enough. my experience. 
Yeah, I know. It makes me sad, but nonetheless, there you go. If you want to throw money at the problem, you can. Microsoft will take <laughs> yeah. it from you. Um, and Google then went and caused a whole big brouhaha when they changed some behavior in Chrome. I am not going into the details of this because I just couldn't summon up the energy to care enough. But the internet went bonkers for it anyway. Um, what they changed was that if you logged into any Google website in Google Chrome, you were also logged into the browser. They just decided to take it upon themselves. Ah, yeah, she will take that login and use it for the browser as well as the website. I don't think I agree with that. But then again, you couldn't pay me to use Chrome because Google has such a conflict of interest. So lots of stories in the show notes. They backtracked a little bit-ish. If you care, if you're a Chrome user and this upsets you, the details are in the show notes. If not, carry on. Uh, a bunch more stuff in news. Most of it's depressing, so we'll skip over it. And then an opinion and analysis. I have two stories flagged for special attention. Um, would you believe that one in five employees share their email passwords with coworkers? And the scary thing is that's that's the most media-friendly headline from this survey that of what happens within wow. corporate land. Uh, some of the other stuff in the survey is actually more frightening to me than that headline, um, because when you read into the story in detail, you discover that most managers uh, have, basically most managers think their companies are not a target, whereas most employees do. Basically, managers' opinion of the dangers in IT are much more out of line with reality than their employees' opinions or understandings of the dangers of IT, which is not a good way for these things to be. Um. And then the other one I gave a star is the story we talked about earlier, why the feds can't block California's net neutrality bill. So okay. that's in the show notes there. And there's some stuff in propeller beanies, but that's entirely up to the propeller heads among you. And that takes us to palate cleansing. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so the first one I put in, because I love it when XKCD just hit the nail on the head. So you just see a person sitting at a laptop and the speech bubble from our screen says, what are you doing? I just thought of a bad opinion someone could have, and now I'm searching to see if anyone does, so I can be mad at them. (laughs) Sounds like you have a healthy relationship with the internet. Hey, at least I'm not this guy I just found. (laughs) Searching for it, right? Yeah, and it's so true with the modern outrage machine. There is sort of a belief that if you're not outraged to someone on the internet, you're not alive. It, It... never ceases to amaze me how outrage is now the thing. But anyway, I thought it was hilarious, so I thought I'd share. Uh, I also found something which is for the opposite side of your brain. Um, If you're curious as to what an artificial neural network is and how it works, Forbes did did a, a nice explainer article which they titled, What are artificial neural networks? A simple explanation for absolutely anyone. Really? Uh, see, the thing mm. is, I already understand them because I did, they were part of my computer science degree, so it made perfect sense to me. I think it'll also make perfect sense to people without a computer science degree. So I think it. I, I think Forbes did it well, but I can't judge because I. It's very hard to imagine not knowing something you know. <laughs> right, right. But I think it's good. And then you you popped in the last palate cleanser, which is uh, my inner child is utterly in love with this. So do you do you want to? <laughs> Sure. Um, somebody made the Apple Park in Lego. And I thought I saw somewhere, I don't know if it's in the post here, but uh, it's, so it's a post to Flickr that we put on here as photos of it. And they did, uh, I think it was 30,000 Lego bricks. Well, if you look and at the fact... it's superb. Uh, it's not just like a big ring. Every bloody tree is in this is in this model, including the entrance to the Steve Jobs Theatre with beautiful flowers all around it. it Oh, it's 
it's it's, it's fantastic. It, it is. I don't see any explanation of it in the in the. Uh, I I saw it somewhere. I don't know Facebook or Twitter or somewhere, and I sent it to you. But there, I, there does not appear to be an explanation of how it was done. It's just beautiful pictures. It's pretty nifty. Yeah, I mean, it's the down to the tennis courts. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. And yeah, I, my childhood involved literally an attic full of Lego. Um, <laughs> Isn't it still there? Oh, it's boxed now. Um, it's oh. uh, waiting for a... Basically, because of the, myself and my two brothers, we bought all the Lego together. It was decided that the Lego would stay at mum and dad's house for a future grandchild to discover and love. Because oh, basically, okay. it wouldn't be fair for any any one of us to take it. And so splitting the the uh, the giant pile into thirds would be silly. Yeah, yeah, it'd just be a big fight, right? So basically, it's it's for the grandkids. So whichever of us have grandkids, so uh, given biological realities, it won't be my kids. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully, uh, there are some grandkids in the family, and they are approaching the age where Lego might just become a thing. So I'm hopeful where they wouldn't hopeful. eat them. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't eat them, and they would actually enjoy them because. Um, like it was the it was the grown up Lego with the full giant big train set. Like we had the attic covered in uh, like crepe paper and stuff to make sea and land and papier mache mountains and like it was a whole big thing with a freight tra- a freight railway line and a passenger railway line and a harbor and wow. an airport and it, oh yeah it was a thing like it was Lego City like it was it was so a big it was big, done big with thing. your imagination. Yeah, oh, it was wonderful. Um, there's actually there are still photos of it on my Flickr, which includes a picture of a very young me. <laughs> I remember seeing that. That's so cool. When I saw this, I knew this uh, this was right up your alley. So we will cleanse our palate there, and uh, we'll have to call it a day until we get terrorized in another couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be something to talk about. I mean, it's it's the one thing we've never been short of topics on, right? I wonder what we'll talk about on security bits. I have never said those words to you ever. <laughs> Nope, nope, nope. Anyway, until then, whatever it is that goes wrong, just do your best to stay patched and stay secure. Well, that sounded a little more somber than necessary at the end there. But anyway, that is going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. Follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, anything you're looking for that you want to find out about podfeed.com is going to start with podfeed.com slash whatever you're looking for. Want to become a patron like we talked about earlier? Podfeed.com slash Patreon. Want to join our Facebook group? Podfeed.com slash Facebook. Want to join our Google Plus community? Podfeed.com slash Google Plus. Want to join in the live chat? Podfeed.com slash chat. Want to contribute by going to Amazon through the Amazon affiliate links? Podfeed.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways like Chuck Nichols did for the first time this week. Anyway, thanks for listening and stay subscribed.